Today's story is Diary of a Drifter Part 2, The Arsonist's Lodge, by N. Murdoch. Sometimes, life hits you with a curveball, a twist, a kick in the dick that leaves you doubled over, heaving and retching while you try to figure out what the hell just happened. Maybe your spouse cheats after ten years, two kids and a puppy named Baxter. Maybe you were a promising athlete in high school until a drunk driver came out of nowhere and left you paralyzed from the neck down. Or, in my case, you meet some scrawny guy in Illinois who tells you about his bad dreams, and you end up being haunted by a goddamn interdimensional doorway to what I can only assume is hell. Look, if you're reading this and haven't read my previous entry, what the hell are you doing? Who opens a book to chapter two and says, I'm sure this is fine, who needs setup? Screw you. If that seems overly harsh, maybe go back and you'll understand why I'm not the happiest little camper. If you're a normal person who reads things in order then you know the situation, and we can get this show on the road. After my first encounter with the door at a rest stop, about an hour from Iowa City, I became a lot more particular about the kinds of stories I wanted to hear from people. I wasn't interested in hearing about the so-and-so's meemaw who escaped persecution and crossed the Atlantic to live the life of a free woman. I wanted... Hell, I craved... The weird and unnatural. This door incident was such a new and unique experience that, as terrifying as it was, I needed more. Looking back, I think that I was still reeling from the cancer. The idea that the world was so much bigger and maybe even a bit mystical gave me hope. Like... Maybe if I kept digging, I would find a way to fix myself, and go back to normal, meet a girl and settle down, maybe even start a family. I'd always wanted to be a dad. I wish like hell that I had just left it all alone. I can see now that the more I dug, the more I poked and prodded, the worse it made things. But wishing for something doesn't make it so. Jesus Christ, look at me, crying about my problems in a suicide note. What a fucking cliche. Let's get back on topic, yeah? Yeah. So, I started really looking for more (laughs) paranormal stories, and I found myself in the mountains of Colorado. People liked to talk about an abandoned lodge that was supposedly haunted, It sounded like a real hotspot for activity, so in my naivety, I jumped at the chance to check the place out. Driving to the site, I passed several other cabins that were all very nice, if a little bit touristy. I found out later that they were all rentals, all owned by the same company. The upscale feel of the places sank my hopes a bit, at first. When I heard... Haunted? I was picturing something more like what you would see in a Scooby-Doo cartoon. Moldy, rotten walls, creepy 
branches. Instead, I got lawn gnomes with snow shovels and some Ned Flanders-looking jackass waving hi diddly-ho as I passed by. And then I saw the door. I'd almost missed it at first. The smooth, white finish blended with the scenery and a snowdrift had obscured the lower half of it. But as sure as I'm sitting here writing this, that fucking door was there. I would like to note that this was the first time I had seen the door since the rest stop back in Iowa. So, it's fair to say that I was more than a little surprised. I did a, a quick double take and audibly exclaimed, What the fuck? And then I might have lost control of the car a little bit. I fishtailed for a couple of seconds and had to bring the old girl screeching to a halt. The next thing I know, I'm standing knee-deep in the snow to make my way to the door. I mean, one second I'm sitting in my car and the next I'm outside and 10 to 15 feet away from the road. I'd lost any time in between. While I tried to make sense of everything, the door started to emit that same nauseating aura that it had in the rest stop. I felt my knees get weak again, and just as I was about to fall to the ground, a voice partly snapped me out of my delirium. The fuck are you doing? I turned and looked for the source of the voice, and a large, bearded man in a plow truck was idling behind my abandoned car. I looked at him for a long moment. I think I was more confused than he was. After all, what did he think I was doing? Couldn't he see the door? It was a little buried in the snow, sure, but it was very obviously there. The guy kind of shrugged at me and gestured in a way that said, get your ass back in the car and get out of my damn way. Still unable to force words out of my mouth, I made stern eye contact with the man and immediately uh, vomited down my chest. Nailed it. I'll spare you the details of that embarrassing conversation and jump to the next major point in the story. The alleged haunted lodge. Although, looking at it, Shack was probably a better description of the place. I'm sure it was nice enough in its heyday, but I don't think the structure had any maintenance or even light care in decades. It was practically falling apart under the weight of the fresh snow. I got in touch with the company that owned the old cabin, and I tried to rent the place out. The woman I spoke with was older, maybe in her 50s, she was charming, and her voice reminded me of one that I hadn't heard in a long, long time. But when I mentioned which cabin I was interested in, her tone changed. She wasn't rude, but she grew audibly uncomfortable as she spoke. We've taken that cabin off our listings. It's currently... She searched for a good excuse for a long while. 
I could hear her nervously shuffling papers over the phone. Unfit for living? She blurted out finally. I could tell that if I was going to get anywhere, I would have to bust out my old tricks and feed her my cancer speech. And it didn't hurt that I offered her an extra hundred dollars and that nobody had to know. Before long, she caved and agreed to meet me with the keys. A part of me felt guilty for using my disease to manipulate the emotions of this poor woman, but I figured I'd be dead soon anyways, so <laughs> why dwell on it? The rental woman arrived sometime later, and I suppose time and the extra money had emboldened her a bit. Before she would turn over the keys, she started to ask questions. I don't understand why anybody would willingly stay in this place. Haven't you heard the stories? Are you some kind of devil worshipper? No, <laughs> ma'am, I chuckled. I know some people say the place is haunted, but beyond that, the details get kind of fuzzy. You know how it goes when a rumor gains traction? Before long, it's just a game of telephone, and the facts get lost in translation. I'll tell you right now, she thrust a finger in my face. It's not just some ghost story. This one's the real deal. So, the story goes that back in 1962, a man by the name of Herman Wickham lived in the old cabin. Nobody had ever even heard the man speak. He wasn't much of a troublemaker, except that he had been caught more than once stealing newspapers from the neighbor. He would cut articles out, and try to return the paper before anybody spotted him. Of course, nobody knew why he did it. The cops couldn't get him to talk either. Around the fall of that year, there were a string of house fires in the little mountain town. Very clear signs of arson. Each time, at least one person was inside, and none of them made it out. Public tensions were at an all-time high when the fifth fire had broken out. The arsonist-slash-murderer had twelve deaths under his belt already. A mob poured into the street, trying like hell to find him. Somebody in the crowd spotted Herman acting shady, ducking behind buildings and trying to slip into the woods on the edge of town. So naturally, the whole mob starts chasing the guy. Herman had a decent lead on the mob, so by the time they made it to the tree line, he'd lost them. The mob got organized quickly, though, thanks to the sheriff at the time, rental lady's uncle, so she claimed. They fanned out and searched those woods until almost dawn, and when they finally found him, all hell broke loose. They found Herman Wickham attacking a teenager. He had wrestled the kid to the ground, and he was smashing a metal gas can over the boy's head. Townspeople pulled Wickham away and did what they could to help the kid. The whole time, Wickham never made a sound. Even as he kicked and fought to free himself, and he must have fought hard because he managed to break free and took off into a dead sprint back to his home. Now, you hear about vigilante justice back in the Old West. Posses getting together and putting an end to a, a particularly nasty criminal. 
but you never think about it happening in modern times. At least I didn't. That mob surrounded Wickham's cabin, smashed down the door, and flooded as many as could fit inside. They beat him within an inch of his life, until his body was so broken and swollen that you could hardly recognize him as a man. Then, they tied a rope around his neck, and they strung him up from the rafters. Not a single person moved after that, not until they were positive that Herman Wickham, the arsonist and the murderer, was dead. Herman's death was ruled a suicide, and the townspeople tried to move on with their lives. The young boy he had attacked in the woods passed away that same night, making the official death toll 13. After his body was removed, Herman's cabin was just left there to rot. Nobody even wanted to acknowledge the place or the man that lived there ever again. According to the rental lady, and yes, I'm sticking with rental lady, if that upsets you, you can just pretend I gave her a stupid moniker like I did with N. Color RL for all I care. Teenagers had since turned the place into a kind of lover's lane. You know how it goes, guys. Bring your girl, or guy, partner, whatever, to an eerie place or scary movie so when she gets scared, you can put an arm around her and whammo. Got yourself an opening to move in for a kiss. Which is all fine and dandy. Until those teens start reporting that the ghost of Herman Wickham is throwing things off of the walls and scaring the bejesus out of anyone who sets foot in this place. So, naturally, I couldn't wait to see it for myself. I hunkered down that night, ready for some full-blown supernatural encounters. Instead of seeing anything, I passed out around 10.45pm, and I woke up the next morning in a puddle of my own drool. I rolled out of bed, and I started a pot of coffee. Surprised that the place even had electricity, let alone a pot to brew in. It was when I sat down with my mug that I felt that all too familiar uneasiness that accompanied N's magical door. I felt the, the warmth and the restfulness seep out of my body, leaving only a nervous tension and a growing sense of annoyance. Sure enough, the door had manifested itself into the wall behind me. I got up warily and looked the thing over from a safe distance. I couldn't help but feel like I'd be compelled to open it if it got much closer. Static in the air and the door's unnatural humming grew in intensity. It was almost vibrant, alive even. The hair on my neck prickled and stood. I felt like... I, I felt like I was being watched, studied. Finally, my fear gave way to frustration, and I shouted at the damn thing. What do you want? I enunciated. Jesus Christ, first you hypnotize me, or whatever the fuck that was yesterday, 
drag me out into the snow for who knows how long. And by the way, if I end up with frostbite because of that little stunt, I swear on God and Sonny Jesus that I will come through there and beat wholesale interdimensional ass from now until the end of time. I'll be the first to admit that without my coffee and quiet time, I get a bit cranky. And that's on a normal day. But this, it pushed me a little more. I threw my mug against the porthole window and was nearly begging for an answer. What the fuck do you want? And, as if to answer my question, the outlet that the coffee pot was plugged into began to spit sparks. In the second it took me to turn my head, the door's buzzing reached a crescendo, and the wallpaper around the outlet ignited. I tried frantically to find a fire extinguisher, but moving through the haze of the... I don't know, psychic onslaught? It, it was hard. Mere seconds later, however, it all came to a stop. The door was gone, the fire was out, and I could move freely again. I blinked away the vertigo and made sure it was all really over. I sat back down in my chair, breathing a sigh of relief. Honestly... I was just glad that I didn't vomit this time. And that's when something caught my eye. The wall around the outlet, where the fire had burned, it looked peculiar. I moved in closer to get a better look, and as plain as the writing on this page, a word was scorched into the wood. Leave. Well, fuck you very much, Mr. Ghost, or whoever you are. I mocked, pouring myself a new cup of coffee. You're dead, and I paid to be here. I paid a lot, actually. Did I pay too much? Shit. Not much else happened throughout the day. Save things kind of shaking or moving slightly in my periphery. But that night, things started to escalate again. I decided to sit outside and enjoy the crisp mountain air and make use of the fire pit out back. For the life of me, though, I couldn't get my damn lighter to spark. I even tried a spare, but both were just duds. Scrounging around inside, though, I found an old box of matches. Returning to the pit, I struck the match once, twice... On the third strike, the match ignited far more intensely than any match on this planet has any right to. The resulting flame engulfed my hand, then my wrist, and finally stopped at my elbow. I screamed and flailed, trying to put the flame out. The strangest thing was that the fire didn't hurt. There was no heat. Of course, it's mostly hindsight that I realized that, at that moment, I was crying like a bitch. And if you're reading this, saying stop, drop, and roll, dumbass, I'll have you know that I did the next best thing. I tripped over a stick, and I fell into a snowdrift. I picked myself up and gave myself a once-over, but I think my pride was hurt worse than anything else. Looking at my arm, though, one thing was definitely different. A crude shape had appeared in the skin of my wrist, maybe an inch across. It was black, like a crude tattoo or a fresh brand. 
it was a, a straight diagonal line with another line branching out from it. I decided that was probably enough excitement for one day and went back inside to turn in. Sleep never came, though. Every time I felt myself begin to drift off, the strange mark on my arm would itch like crazy. I mean, it was so intense that I broke the skin trying to scratch the damn thing. When I finally decided to give in and get out of bed, the itch faded. Not completely, but enough to notice. Do you ever have those moments of immense clarity? Where the world gets completely quiet and all the pieces just kind of fit together? Whatever problem you're working on clicks and you see the solution that's been staring you in the face the whole time? That didn't happen here. What did happen is that I started to fixate on that word burned into the wall. Leave. And some way, somehow, my dumbass put two and two together. The mark on my arm bore a striking resemblance to the letters on the wall. It was a Y. How in the hell did I not see that? I held my arm up near the word in the wall and did a double take. I started to pick and pull at the wallpaper around the burned area thinking that there might be more letters hidden underneath. Surprise, there weren't. But I was motivated at that point. I scoured the entire place looking for any evidence of more letters. And nothing, again. So, less enthusiastic, I wrote all the letters down. Maybe the letters were an anagram for something. And what's that, reader? Did I solve this mystery and get some well-deserved rest, you ask? Nope, sure didn't. I stayed up all night trying to find some kind of clue or answer and got absolutely nowhere. By the time the sun rose... I was exhausted. My brain was fried. I tried again to fall asleep, but of course this fucking thing on my arm wouldn't let me. I ended up making my way into town. My plan was to buy some heavy-duty cold medicine and knock myself out for a good chunk of the day. Instead, I caught sight of the town hall and the library. Before long... I was poring over town records, looking for any information on the fires and the man who started them. The details about the life of Herman Wickham were few and far in between. His mother had been a nurse in her younger years. From what I could gather, his father didn't stay in the picture for very long. But nothing I dug up pointed to any kind of motive or explanation. Shifting gears, I focused on the young man that Herman had killed in the woods. Most sources didn't want to name the kid, given that he was technically a minor. But, with enough patience, or obsession, no information is hidden. The kid's name was Arthur fucking Levy. Levy. I shouted in excitement, and got a few nasty glares and harsh shushing in return. This discovery birthed a whole new mystery to solve. Why did the spirit want me to know that name? Was I actually dealing with Arthur's ghost and not Herman's? Or was there more to the story? I dug a little deeper, but all I was able to find was a record of adoption. Arthur had been taken in by a prominent Levy family here in town when he was four. I got a hold of the Levies, specifically Carol, Arthur's adoptive mother, 
and I asked if I could talk with them about their son. I didn't mention anything about ghosts or the supernatural. I told her that I was new to the area and just recently learned of her son's murder. I said it struck a chord with me, and I just needed to understand why someone would target him. Don't tell my husband I said this. She spoke softly, as if she didn't want anyone to hear us. I know that Wickham boy didn't start those fires. I want to believe he did, for my family's sake, but I know better. I didn't press her, but she caught me off guard. Arthur, she trailed off, briefly. Arthur was troubled. He was a good boy, but he had his demons. When he was little, he would wet the bed constantly. He never slept through the night. At first, we chalked it up to the stress of losing his parents and being in a new place. But as he got older, it just didn't stop. One morning, he must have been about eight years old. He, we woke up to the smell of smoke, and our alarms were going crazy. Arthur had lit his soiled sheets on fire. He told me later that he wanted to get rid of them so we wouldn't be mad at him. I felt like she could see the wheels in my head turning, putting the story together, but she continued without letting me cut in. From that point, his fascination with fire grew. We found a hole in the woods, and in it were charred animal remains. I tried to convince my husband that the boy needed to see a specialist, but he just wouldn't agree to it. He was so proud of Arthur, proud of his son, we weren't ever able to conceive on our own, see? He just couldn't stand the thought of people finding out. And so we let it go. I prayed he would grow out of it, but as I'm sure you figured out, he didn't. He got worse. His fascinations with death and fire escalated, uh, became an obsession. She was quiet for a long while, staring off into the distance, tears forming in her eyes. Ma'am, do you mean to tell me I started, and she cut me off? Arthur started those fires, killed those people, that Wickham boy. The boy could barely spell or hold a fork, let alone burn a bunch of houses down. He was special, but he must have been smart enough, figured it all out for himself. He killed Arthur, far as I can tell, to put an end to things to help people, but he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and those people that strung him up, they only saw what they wanted to see. She looked me over, something like uh, pity in her eyes. Miss Levy, I started, if this is such a closely guarded secret, why tell a complete stranger? I don't know, she chuckled softly. Maybe I'm just tired of living the lie. Maybe because I just needed to speak the truth out loud at least once in my life. Or maybe it's you. There's something about you. Something not right. Honestly, I don't think you'll be around too long to tell anyone. I swallowed hard. I couldn't decide if that was a threat or if the things happening to me were more noticeable than I'd realized. But something in your eyes... She continued, You're at death's door and you don't even realize it. I left not long after that. 
I went back to the cabin and packed up my things. I'd had about enough of that place, and I wanted to move on. Find a different story. Find some answers. (laughs) When I walked to the front door, the, um, other door was sitting right next to it. I could feel its luring fingers pulling me to open it. Instead, I just smirked to myself and whispered, Go fuck yourself, before I walked outside and got back on the road. Kind of... anticlimactic, right? Well, they can't all be winners. Maybe I should have spread the word, tried to help Herman Wickham clear his name, but I didn't. It's really that simple. Maybe you can. After all, you know as much as I do now. But uh, clearing his name, it won't bring him back. It won't erase the unjust death he was given. And no matter who you tell, there will always be someone who thinks Wickham was a cold-blooded killer. Not a misunderstood, disabled man who wanted to help. Am I an asshole for not trying? Yeah, maybe. But I'm dying. So, what's your excuse? After I left, the door became a more constant thing. Over the course of about a week, it went from once or twice a day to near constant. Its presence wasn't as nauseating, but its pull was and is, getting stronger all the time. Anyway, I need to piss, and I'm running out of liquor, so I'll write some more later. Oh, and Herman, if you're out there somewhere in the ether, I'm sorry for what happened to you. You probably deserved better. I hope you find peace. I'm, well, I'm just not the guy to give it to you. That was, once again, Diary of a Drifter Part 2 by N. Murdoch. And if I may say, Mr. Murdoch, you've written one hell of a sequel. And now I'm amazingly excited to read the threequel. The Part 3. Threequel. That's not a word, but whatever. Anyways. I'm also curious to see where this series goes. You absolutely have my attention, my friend. And hopefully the attention of my beautiful audience. And I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, leave that thumbs up button. Hit it. You can subscribe to the channel if you're new. Leave a comment from Mr. Murdoch. Let him know what you thought of the story. Let him know what you think of the series. And leave your uh, your thoughts down below about the porthole. The, the door. The door, if you will. I think door is the only way to really describe it at this point. Um, yeah, and all that. If you want to support further, you know, channel memberships, Patreon, all that stuff. A dollar a month, you can get early access to all my content. Higher tiers, get higher stuff, like posters, keychains, stickers. You all like stickers, right? Of course you do. Anyways. Um, I don't know what the Bob Ross thing was there. I hope you all have a beautiful day, and I hope I will see you on the next video. But, till then, my beautiful people. Sleep well.